Hey, New Life family, it's so great to be back with you again this weekend for our online service. Just want to give a big shout out to all of those uh, who are joining us from the Patterson campus online. Hey, we're so glad that you are with us. Whatever lane that you're in, lane one, two, or three, uh, we just want to say uh Happy weekend to you, and it's great to see you again uh, this weekend. Hey, we're going to jump right into it. Go ahead and take out your phones. And while you're doing that, we just want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the women out there, okay? Uh, We want to be super thankful this weekend for all of our moms out there. Just want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom out in Tennessee. And also, happy Mother's Day to the best mom, uh, Janet. Uh, my wife of almost 28 years. We have four kids, and uh, I know that they're going to be treating you uh, really special this weekend. So, just want to say Happy Mother's Day out there to you, Miss Janet, and uh, you are an amazing mom. So, hey, uh, while you have your phones out, uh, go ahead and check in that you're watching New Life Christian Center this weekend on our YouTube channel or online, whichever you are watching from. And then also uh, go ahead and pull up the sermon notes. So you, you do that by going to our app and then clicking in the bottom right-hand corner. You'll see the word connect. Click on that and then click on weekend resources and then sermon notes and then this weekend's message um, as we dive into just kind of a one-off this weekend. Uh, now, typically, uh, you know, growing up, we always did Mother's Day messages on, on Mother's Day. We talked about mothers and then fathers on Father's Day. But we're going to do something a little different this weekend. We're still going to honor all of our mothers. But um, I want to do something. I want to pause just for a, uh, a second before we go into all the housekeeping uh, things. And I just want to pray for all of, our, all of our moms out there. I want to pray for all of our women out there. Uh, I'm sensitive to the fact, and we're sensitive to the fact here at New Life, uh, that uh, when it comes to Mother's Day and Father's Day and, and all these other days, that uh, it's not always a celebration uh, for everyone. I know there are many of us uh, who, many of you out there who may not have your, your mother living anymore. Maybe you've lost your mother over the past year or over the, or, or over the past few years. Uh, and this is more of a remembrance than it is, any, than, than it is a celebration. Uh, we have a, uh, there's a lot of women out there who aren't able to have children. Uh, there's women out there and, and uh, some uh, people out there who have bad memories when it comes to their relationship with their mother. And so we want to be sensitive to that as well. But I want to pray over all of our women uh, today. <clears throat> today. So no matter if you're listening or if you're watching, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're listening from, will you do me a favor and just bow your heads as we pray for all of our women uh, out there who are uh, tuning in online this weekend. Father, thank you so much for, uh, again, this opportunity that we get to... Uh, Come to you, Lord, as an act of surrender, as an act of worship and pray. And, Father, right now we just lift up all of our women who are watching uh, this weekend. We know that there are several people who may be watching that don't have their mother uh, living among them anymore. And so, Father, we just want to lift those up to you. We know that there's people out there who may, be, may have a strained relationship with their mother. Father, we just lift those up to you. And Father, for all those women out there who are having difficulty having children, Lord, they would love nothing more than to be able to be a mom. Uh, but Father, because of one issue or another, they're having complications. So Father, we just pray for those as well. So whatever season uh, that our listeners are in, Father, wh- wherever they are, whatever they're doing, Lord, we just pray, God, that you'll just wrap your loving arms around them. Father, that this can, can be at, the best, at, at uh, the best that we can make it, a celebration of our moms. And so, uh, Father, uh, if we're alive today, it's because we have a mom. 
Uh, it's because someone out there uh, did give birth to us. And so, Father, we, uh, we honor that person. We celebrate that person, Lord, uh, this morning. So we thank you. We, um, uh, we thank you for our moms. We pray, God, that it will just be a, an amazing day uh, for those moms out there um, who have a, a deep uh, and great connection, Lord, with their children. Father, we love you. And we submit and we surrender all of our women to you today in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you very much uh, for, for, uh, for taking just a little bit of time and letting me do that. Uh, hey, don't forget some of the housekeeping items that, that we have each week. We, we, you know, about a year ago, we adopted a number, 30500. And you can uh, text the word prayers uh, to that number. If you are going through something you want the staff to be praying with you about, uh, you can also text the word update to keep up with what's happening here uh, at New Life. Uh, you can text the word CONNECT, 3, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, and then the number 3, all one word. If you want to join one of our CONNECT 3 groups, we just want to encourage you to do that. Um, and for all of the resources that we have every single week that we have uploaded on our website, newlifecc.com, uh, make sure you're taking advantage of those resources. We actually have life group questions. If you're not currently involved in a life group, totally fine. You can access the life group questions on our website. Uh, and they complement the weekend message. So if you just want to do your own Bible study and go a little bit deeper into what we talk about here on the weekends, you can go to our website, go to resources, go to the life group questions, and you can dive deeper into what we discuss here on the weekends. But we just want to say thank you so much. Lastly, before we dive into the, today's message, we just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and your generosity. We just came off of a three-week a three series on giving and, and money and resources, and we've seen uh, dozens of you, dozens of you take the next step in what God may be prompting and compelling you to do in the area of your giving. So we just want to say thank you. However you give, whether you do it through the app online or you mail that in. The address is on the screen right now as we're talking. Uh, we just want to say thank you so much for your generosity because we couldn't do what we do without you. So thank you so much. Well, we are going to be doing, like I said, we're going to be doing a one-off message today because next week we're going to kick off a brand new series called God's Heartbeat. And it's a four-week series on how we can really align our heart with what with God's heart, with the things that cause his heart to beat should be the things that cause our heart to beat. How do we align our two hearts together? So that's going to be kicking off next week called God's Heartbeat, and we're looking forward to that. But today, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something or broken something or said something that uh, immediately when you did that, oh, man, you just felt horrible? I mean, one of those things where you prayed to God that your parents would not find out about, but they end up finding out about it anyway. Not because you ratted yourself out, not because you told on yourself, but because of the shame that you carried on your face. Okay, since we're talking about Mother's Day, you know, uh, it's hard to lie to our moms, isn't it? They gave birth to you, so they know all your face expressions, okay? And they can tell when you've done something that you shouldn't have done. When you've disappointed your mom in some way or fashion. When you've said something that immediately when it came out, you're like, oh, why did I just say that? Why did I just do that? I know I just hurt my mom's feelings. I know that I shouldn't have done that. I knew I, I, I shouldn't have broken her favorite whatever. Uh, now, it's a little different in my house. You see, I married a southern woman. And uh, when my kids do something that hurt that hurts Janet's feelings, it's a little less shameful. That they, they don't carry a whole lot of shame on their face. It's more fear. 
all right, uh, because I married a southern woman. And so uh, Janet used to deliver papers way back in the day, and so she's really good at throwing sidearm. So when my kids do something that they shouldn't or they've said something that they shouldn't, it's dodgeball at my house, all right. They're looking because things are going to start flying through the room at them, and she's a pretty good shot. So usually when they say something they're not supposed to, they're, they're off the, to the races. They're getting out of there. But what happens is when we do something or we say something uh, that we shouldn't and we have that shame, we, we sulk, we're embarrassed that, that we even said that. And it's not just humans. All right, animals do this too. When animals do something that they shouldn't have done, uh, they carry shame all over their face as well. Okay, if you don't believe me, check out this video. You have a good day? Come here, you have a good day? Did you have a good day? Come here, Missy. Did you have a good day? Huh? Did you have a good day? Daddy loves you. You have a good day? But who tore my pants up, though? Oh, y'all don't want to talk about that? Did you make this mess? Somebody made it. Who made it? Who made this mess? Let's look over here again. Huh. Look at this dog. She looks a little guilty. Mocha, did you take it? Mocha. Look at me. See, who ate this? Who ate this opal? Was this you? Did you eat this? Huh? Did you eat this? Mira cómo me dejaron la plantilla. ¿Quién fue? ¿Eh? Cooper, did you eat all of your treats? Cooper. Alright, well, apparently while I was out, somebody got into the kitty cat treats. Denver, did you do this? Denver, was this you? Denver, you won't look at me. Did you? What? All right, so I love those, I love those uh, videos. They're all over YouTube, uh, dog shaming, uh, animal shaming, whatever. You could just sit there and watch them for literally hours. They're super funny at watching some of these pets and the way they react. But the word shame, let's, let's, let's stay on the word shame just for a little bit. It's a heavy, heavy word, isn't it? I mean, we carry shame in our attitude. We carry shame in our language. It can haunt us for years and actually rob us, rob us of a life of joy and peace. I mean, it's a heavy subject, but it doesn't have to be. About three years ago, my goal uh, was to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as many times as I could in one year. And then the next year, I was obsessed with reading the letters and writings of the Apostle Paul. And then last year, COVID hit, and I was reading, just like many of you, I was reading as many things as I could about how to stay calm and having peace and how to get rid of fear and how to manage anxiety. But lately, I've been fascinated with Peter. I mean, with our church still in this, uh, uh, with the whole church culture in our society still being kind of in the season of the resurrection and Easter, I've been reading a lot about the different reactions of the 12 disciples and the women who were there on the scene the morning that Christ rose from the dead. For 40 days after his resurrection, he appeared to over 500 witnesses that could attest true to the reality and how real the resurrection actually was. 
But the one that sticks out to me the most, the one with whom I believe all of us can identify and really taught us on how to get rid of shame is good old Peter. I want to talk about this weekend how to shake the shame. How to shake the shame. Because many of us, even if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we drag our shame from our past around like an anchor. And at times and seasons of our life, we'll say, "Woo, okay, that feels good. I no longer feel like I'm dragging it around. Well, it's only because we're not moving. When we start moving again, we pick up that chain and we start dragging that shame along with us. Because we've all felt shame at one time or another, haven't we? But this weekend, I want to talk about how to shake the shame. Cole, Cole, look at, look at Jackson. Tell him to shake that shame. Jackson, you got a lot of shame on you, buddy. We're trying, there you go. There you go. He's doing a dance for me back there. He's shaking that shame. <laughs> Listen, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit that God told them to stay away from, they carried a lot of shame in their lives. When God came looking for them in Genesis 3, in the quote-unquote cool of the day, they were hiding from God. Now, why were they hiding from God? Because they were ashamed. They just disobeyed God, and they did exactly what he told them not to do. So carrying heavy loads of shame is certainly nothing new for us here in 2021. I mean, think about Moses. Moses ran from his shame of murder. King David cried out and begged God to, to, remove, uh, <coughs> excuse me, to remove his shame of adultery, among many other things. The Samaritan woman that Jesus confronted was so, so shameful and trying to hide the fact that she'd been married five times. And Jesus just called it out and said, look, the past is the past. These are just three examples of ordinary people in Scripture just like you and I trying to hide and carry their shame. But let's focus on Peter. Because the way that he dealt with his shame the way that he demonstrated the heaviness of his shame and the unloading of emotion associated with giving his shame to Jesus is something from which I think we can all learn. So let me set it up for you. Let me set the story up for you just a little bit. On the night that Jesus was to be arrested, he and his disciples had just finished with what we call communion. And then they began making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane of Gethsemane that was just uh, uh, um, uh, close by. So let's read what happens. They get done with, the, with what we call communion. They're walking out of the building. They're going up to the garden, and we read this in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the Scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And look at this, all of the other disciples vowed the same. So all of the disciples are with Jesus when he says this. Okay, they, uh, they all just, they make this declaration. We're going to stay with you no matter what. Jesus goes into the garden. The soldiers arrive. They arrest Jesus. And then look at verse 56, just a few verses down. At that point, all of the disciples deserted him and fled, just like Jesus said they would. Just a couple of hours before, Jesus told them that they were going to do this. And they all made a vow not to. 
yet here they are, and there they go. <laughs> Let me ask you, have you ever done that? Have you ever made a vow to Jesus and then went back on it just a couple of hours later? I know that's just me. That's a whole other message. We'll get to that later. But let's stay on Peter. You see, when they took Jesus to be charged and beaten and spit on and mocked and slapped, guess who was in the crowd? Peter. Everyone else scattered, but not Peter. One of the first disciples to be handpicked by Jesus and challenged to follow him. The one whose name Jesus changed from Simon to Peter because, Peter because Peter means rock. And Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, upon this rock I will build my church. In other words, Peter, you're going to be one of the foundations of what I'm about to do and what I'm about to build. This guy, Peter, he quit his job. He traveled with Jesus for over three years. He walked on water with Jesus. He saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And now he's watching as they lead his Messiah away the son of the living God, and his friend to be put on trial. And there's not a thing he can do about it. And with his mind racing, feeling helpless, wanting to be around, but certainly not wanting to be discovered, we read this, Luke 22, 54 through 62, it says this. So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. Now let me just stop right there. That is a whole other message that we're going to do sometime. Are you following Jesus closely or are you following at a distance? The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, listen, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Wow. That must have been some look. I've read the story, story so many times, and I've often wondered what emotion was in that look. I mean, it obviously centered around love because Jesus can't separate himself from the love that he has for humanity or for Peter in this moment. But what else? What other emotion might have been in that look? Could it be that Jesus, this was a look for Jesus saying, hey, I knew it. Peter, I told you this was going to happen. Maybe it was a look from Jesus saying, hey, this is the last time that you're going to see me, Peter, before I die. I actually choose to believe that it was Jesus' way of knowing that Peter was still close by. That his friend hadn't totally abandoned him. You see, Jesus heard that rooster, that, that rooster crow too. Hearing that rooster crow meant that Peter 
had just denied him three times. And the only way Peter could deny him three times is if someone asked him three times if he was associated with Jesus. And the only way that someone could have asked him is if he was there. I choose to believe that Jesus looked at Peter as if to say, Ah, my friend, you're still with me. And Peter, full of his shame, left weeping bitterly. Think about that, weeping bitterly. Bitterly means to do it in an angry, hurtful, and resentful way. That crying and that weeping to where there's, there's a strain and a grunt that coincides with the tears streaming down your face. You see, I felt that way when Ella was hit by a car back in January and had to be airlifted to the hospital. I shared with you the story of that when they finally got Ella stabilized and uh, because of COVID, they would only allow Janet to stay with her in the hospital room. So that means I had to go rent a hotel room. And I checked in at 1.30 in the morning and in that hot shower, I remember weeping bitterly with resentment and anger. You see, the difference between Peter and I was that I was angry and resentful because of a situation that I couldn't control. Peter was angry and hurtful and resentful because of himself, his shame and how disappointed he was with himself because of his own choices, because of his own decisions and actions caused him to run away absolutely disgusted and embarrassed. Can you imagine? Yes, you can imagine because you're human and you've been there too. We've all done, done things in our lives where either immediately following or sometime later, we say, I can't believe I did that. Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I look at that? I can't believe I fill in your own blank. And then we walk around carrying our shame until it causes us to do one of the worst things we can ever do, something that the enemy actually craves for us to do. We try and hide, just like Adam and Eve. We run away, we, we want to avoid people, we isolate ourselves, we shut down, we cover it with masks saying, I'm okay. Wouldn't it be easier if we just surrendered that shame to Jesus? You see, our shame keeps us from praying because we feel inadequate. Our shame keeps us from coming to God because we think that what we've done or what we said is just too bad for God to forgive we're shameful to even have a conversation with God because we're too ashamed to face him. It keeps us from asking for forgiveness and seeking repentance because of our embarrassment. That is not how God designed us to have a relationship with him. It's not. You see, this weekend, I believe there's a few things that we can do to shake that shame and live in the freedom that comes with being in a life with Jesus. Okay, here's the first thing. I can shake the shame by number one, removing its power and giving it to God. Removing its power and giving it to God. Look at Romans 8, verses 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul in a letter that he wrote to the, to, to, uh, to the church in Rome. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I love how the Passion Translation says it. Listen, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. You see, most of the shame that you and I experience is a, this potent combination of failure and pride. 
We fail morally, which is sin, and then we fail due to our limitations, with, which is our weaknesses, things that we need to get, things that we need to improve. We also fail to live up to others, other people's expectations and standards. And because we're so full of that sinful pride, we're ashamed of our failures and our weaknesses, and we'll go to almost any length to cover them up and to hide them from others. And when this, when this happens, we allow that, that pride-fueled shame to have power over us. It, it begins to control these significant parts of our lives. It consumes precious time and energy from us. You see, humanity, we have this dangerous tendency to not forgive ourselves of our past. Other people forgive us, but we can't forgive ourselves. There are dozens of people listening and watching right now who are consumed with the shame of your past. You've convinced yourself that, that even though that you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there are, there are secrets that no one knows about except you and God. And the shame of those secrets has kept you from drawing closer to him because of your fear of being rejected. Your shame has caused you to keep your mouth closed. You don't even want to bring it up to God, even though he already knows about it. But we're too ashamed to bring it up. I've had countless conversations with people over the years who are afraid to even darken the doors of a church building because of the things that they've done in their past. Because of the shame of their choices and their decisions. As if the four walls of this building of a, of a quote-unquote church is, is the only, it's the only holy place that they're afraid to walk into. Listen, don't forget, we may have an address to gather and worship together as a faith family, but when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, demonstrating that God no longer just lives in the, in the temple, but now he resides in us. We've given our shame way too much power, way too much power. Some of you have allowed your shame to shape your decision-making. You say, I can't be forgiven because... Dot, dot, dot. I can't go to church because of this. I can't, God can't trust me because of my past. You see, we've allowed our, our shame to make decisions for us. The way that we strip our shame of its power is by surrendering it over to God. You say, how do we do that? First, we have to recognize what we are ashamed of. We have to recognize those things that we have, that we have shame in our life. We have to identify that. And then say, beginning today, God, I've got to give this to you. Help me release this and give it and surrender it to you, Lord. You see, listen to this. The things we refuse to surrender and trust over to God are the things with which we really don't believe he can control. I want to say that again. The things we refuse to surrender and trust over to God are the things with which we really don't believe he can control. Whether it's our marriages or our future, our relationships, our jobs, our finances, when we won't surrender those things to God, we're unintentionally communicating that we believe they're bigger than God. Now, the ultimate way we eliminate the power of shame is to just give it to God, is, is by, by embracing our true identity in him. If we really believe in God's vision, if we really believe in God's purpose for us, and we believe what he says about us is true in Scripture, then we can truly walk away from our shame. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what kind of person? A new person. 
You are no longer who you used to be. You are now a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Okay, so that's number one. That's, how we sh- that's uh, uh, what it means when we say I'm going to shake the shame. Number two, I'm going to shake the shame by hiding in the right place. Hiding in the right place. Adam and Eve hid in the wrong place. But I'm going to shake my shame by hiding in the right place. Psalm 32, 7 says this. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. We have a lot of places to hide, don't we? I mean, think about it. Excuse me. Think about your day. Think about all the places that you can hide from your shame. We hide in our homes or away from our homes. We hide in our work. We hide in our offices. We hide in our housework, our yard work, our garage. We hide behind computers and phones, behind earphones and binge watching. We hide behind facades in our fashion, in our our education, our careers, our social media accounts, even in our speaking podiums. We hide behind these things, don't we? We hide in busyness and procrastination. We hide behind outright lies and and, and divisive conversations, behind humor, behind insecurities and fears, behind introversion, introversion and extroversion. All those places are places we try to hide. And God is saying to us, no, come and hide in me. Bring your shame to me. King David calls God his hiding place. Another translation says refuge. You know what that means? That means God is a safe place to hide and to bring our shame. He's not waiting there to punish us. He's not, he's not waiting there to condemn us or make us feel guilty. Instead, he's waiting there for us to come and unload our shame and to get rid of it. Look at what God spoke to the people of Israel, and it's true for us today, to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 4. Fear not, you will no longer live in what? Shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. We're hiding in the wrong place. Instead of hiding in the things that can't take away our shame and actually keep us from the one who can, what if we came and surrendered our shame to Jesus this weekend? Here's the third one. Here's the third way we can shake the shame. Accepting my freedom in Christ. I'm going to shake the shame by accepting my freedom in Christ. 1 John 1 and 9 says this, a very popular verse in the scripture. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Not some. Not for the first five years. All wickedness. Wickedness. Jeremy, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've said. I've abandoned people. I've hurt people. I've caused too much pain in my life and in the lives of those around me. They'll never forgive me. And if they won't forgive me, how do I know that God will forgive me? And if that's what you're thinking right now, I want to read that verse again. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. From all wickedness. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter when you said it, God is faithful and just to forgive all our wickedness, all of it. But we have to believe that. We have to accept that. God won't make you accept your forgiveness. When he forgives us, our shame should go with it. Will you bring your your shame this weekend? 
Peter tried to hide his shame by going to work. That's what a lot, that's what, to be honest with you, that's what most of us do. We try to hide our shame with the mask of just staying busy, going to work. After the resurrection of Jesus and his appearance over 500 witnesses, we read that he appeared to the disciples on two different occasions. Now, whether or not he had any one-on-one interactions with Jesus and they had conversations, we, we, don't, we don't see that. It's unclear. Except for one particular morning, which was very different. This is the part of Peter's life where I think that we can all identify. Because up to this point, we don't see or read about the, excru- about the excruciating agony of the shame that Peter was carrying since he denied knowing Jesus. But in this moment, in this moment that we're going to read, when Jesus shows up at, at, at Peter's work, <laughs> we can feel it. We can feel the agony of the shame that Peter's been carrying for days, wanting to unload to Jesus. It's in the afternoon. A few of the disciples are sitting around. And finally, Peter says in, in John 21, 3, guys, I'm going fishing. I love that. I'm going to work, boys. I can't sit around here any longer. It's killing me. It's eating me up on the inside. And then look what happens. John 21, 4 through 7. At dawn, this is in the morning, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, who's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had, he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. He couldn't even wait for his brothers. He was that excited. Now, I can't prove this theologically, but I believe as soon as Peter saw the opportunity to run to Jesus and make sure that everything was fine and cool between the two of them, he literally jumped at the chance. The shame that he was carrying for days, just waiting for that moment to stand in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry I denied you. I'm sorry I did that. I need to know, Jesus, do you still love me? I need to know, Jesus, are you mad at me? Let's face it, that's, that's the question that a lot of us are wrestling through right now. When we think about our shame, is God mad at me? Will God even hear me if I pray? I'm so ashamed of what I've done, I don't even want to talk about it. Maybe Peter just wanted to, see, wanted to look into his eyes again. Because remember the last time that they made eye contact. It was a different scene. I believe Jesus is inviting us this weekend to run to him. To get rid of our shame. He wants you to know this weekend that he's not mad at you, that his desire is to release you of your shame. His passion is to forgive you of your sin so that you can walk away from your past and become a different person. But you have to want it bad enough to jump out of your circumstances and run to him. Talking about moms again. You know, when your mom comes up to you after you've done something or said something or whatever, and they they say, hey, look at me. I'm going to ask you again, did you do this? Did you say this? You know, when they grab your cheeks, they squeeze your mouth together, you know. 
They force your eyes to look into their eyes. Mom's calling you out for two reasons. Number one, in that moment, she wants to see the real you. Because she can tell whether or not you're being honest with her. But the other reason is because she wants you to focus on the real her in the moment. To some of you listening and watching this weekend, Jesus is grabbing you by the face and he's squeezing your cheeks together and he's saying, look at me. I'm not mad at you. Look at me. I have forgiven you. Look at me. I want to take your shame away, but you have to give it to me. He wants us to look at him. He wants us to know that he still loves us. Now, Peter went on to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. In fact, Peter's one of the pillars of our faith. But he had to get rid of his shame. He had to completely surrender his life to Jesus. So let me ask you, what shame this weekend do you need to surrender to Jesus? Jesus is inviting each and every one of us this weekend to look at him, to understand that he's not mad at us. He's already forgiven you of your sin. If you've confessed that to him, if you consider yourself a follower of him, then he's already forgiven you. You're already a child of God. Why are you still carrying your past? Jesus is calling all of us this weekend to shake the shame. Wherever you are, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this great reminder that once you've forgiven us, Father, we can get rid of the shame. Father, I know that there are, there are countless people under the sound of my voice right now. I've had personal conversations with people who just can't, they can't get past their past. I've had them say to me, I don't know how God could ever forgive me, Lord. Father, will you just, will you just help convince them that you have forgiven them? That you have cast their their sin as far as the east is from the west. You've cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, Lord, never, no longer to be remembered again, Lord, and that, that the old life is gone, that the new life has begun, that they could shake that shame off their life, that they're no longer bound by it, that they could be free, free from the shame, free from the guilt, free from their past, and move forward with the amazing plans that you still have for all of us. Father, it doesn't mean that we can't move forward with the plans that you have for us, Lord, but our shame drags us down. It slows us down from being exactly who you created us to be, Lord. So right now, I just pray over everyone listening, I pray over everyone watching, that beginning today, they can shake the shame. They can accept freedom in their forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Uh, please don't forget about all the announcements—excuse <clears throat> me, all the announcements that we have about texting prayers, your faithfulness, and your generosity. Thank you so much for uh, for for your giving. Uh, like we said in the last three weeks, if you missed any of the last three weeks on Unstrapped, just want to encourage you to go back and listen uh, to those messages. I think it'll be an encouragement for you uh, to take a step forward uh, in the spiritual discipline of giving. Hey, thank you so much for watching. We want you to have a great week. Be blessed and be a blessing. We'll see you next week.